You're listening to the Full of Hope podcast. I'm R.J. Hurd, and today we're talking to Brandon Davison about his experiences with abuse, addiction, crime, and ultimately recovery and redemption. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone. Because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. Hey everybody, today's episode is a bit of a landmark for the podcast. It's the first time we're talking with somebody who has overcome something that's not cancer related. And when I first started the podcast, I really thought uh, that I would love to talk with people who have overcome all kinds of different challenges. And today is the first time we are um, talking with a drug addiction survivor. Uh, special thanks to a co-worker of mine, Angela, who was able to put me in touch with her nephew, Brandon. And here's the discussion that we had. Well, Brandon, super, super excited that Angela, um, you know, introduced us. Yep. Um, I I think this will be, it, it'll definitely be interesting for us. Um, you know, we've, we've only talked with cancer survivors so far on, okay. Okay. on the podcast. And my goal wasn't just to, to talk to cancer survivors, but it's just a space that I had some contacts in. Right. And so frankly, I'm, I'm really excited to hear the story, another like survival story of somebody yeah. that's got completely different circumstances from anything we've, uh, we've talked about in the past. So. Hey, so quick question. Uh, yeah. How long are we shooting for right here? Generally the episodes are about, I try to cap them around an hour or so. Okay. I just want to know, cause I've got like the five minute story, the 20 minute story, the hour story. So it's like, I'm just trying to see how deep you want me to go. Let's go hour story. Okay. So that's your version of the hour story. And what you no. don't know about me no. is no. I get paid no. by the word. So, <laughs> so I'm going to go for the 20 minute story and you can fill the other 40. No, no, no. Go, go for the hour story. Like I, this definitely, I want this to be, you know, representative of your story. It's just right. like, RJ and I are both pretty curious guys. So yeah, no. And feel free to feel free to stop me and, and dig in and ask questions. Like you won't, I won't lose my train of thought. None of that stuff. Like feel free to just stop me and dig. You're a pro. Yeah. You've done this before. <laughs> I have my own podcast so yeah yeah I know I, we're good with this well so what's so um I will we'll get into that later in the story I'm mm-hmm. I'm guessing I'm guessing the reason you're doing a podcast is a result of some of the stuff you've gone through oh yeah for sure okay for sure okay well so since you've done this before and you've got you've got it kind of figured out in terms of your general cadence like why don't you just start where you normally start and uh we'll just we'll just roll on from there okay so you ready yeah. to go? Yeah, go for it, buddy. All go right. So um, I was born, uh, both of my parents were drug addicts, right? Um, my mom, this was the 80s, like cocaine was a big thing. They started smoking crack. My mom was 16 years old. My dad was 26. He was the, oh. yeah, he was the local drug dealer and she was the neighbor girl and she had a crush on him and they just, it, it went all bad. And, uh, so they hooked up, she gets pregnant. She kind of got pregnant on purpose because she was living in a foster home. She wanted out and he ended up going to prison for that. Like it was just, it was a bad situation. And so like growing up, my dad never really wanted me, you know what I mean? Like, and I felt it as a kid that 
like I was a reminder to him that A, he had went to prison. B, when he got out, she kind of tried to make him settle down, which wasn't his style. Like he was a drug dealer, a partier, wanted to run the streets. And so he kind of had a lot of resentment uh, towards me growing up. And like just to, to even enforce that fact, they intentionally had my little brother a few years later and my dad loved him. And it was just, I didn't understand it. Like he loved him so much, but he treated me like crap. Hmm. And so this created like this tension uh, growing up where I'm always looking for my dad's approval. You know, as a kid, like your dad's your superhero. Like this guy was Superman in my eyes. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to uh, follow in his footsteps to get his uh, uh, attention, his affection. And I could just never get that. Yeah. So, uh, Wait, he, so Brandon, he was, uh, but he, even though he spent time in prison, mm-hmm. uh, he got out and he was in your life actively, yeah. like he, and, and your mom as well. Right. Yeah. So he got out, they tried to like make it work and, and okay. play house. And it would just, he, what I found out later is he was so broken and dysfunctional himself from things that had happened in his childhood that he, he couldn't engage in any kind of relationships and so Mm -hmm. he would like work two jobs to stay out of the house he would he would you know uh go still go party and stuff but he I mean he lived in the house with us and we had like a kind of family but it was mostly my mom uh raising us and I mean she was 16 she was a kid herself and and coming from doing drugs and she got sober when my little brother was born I was about five years old and, uh, but she didn't know how to, how to cope with life either. She didn't know how to be a parent. She didn't know any of that stuff. And right. so I grew up in a very dysfunctional home is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. And so my dad, he, he ends up like going in and out of prison. So when I'm like nine or 10 years old, uh, he goes to prison again and then, uh, he gets out and he comes back to the house. And at this point, like, I'm like, dude, I want to follow in my dad's footsteps. Like this guy's the hero in my eyes. So, mm-hmm. uh, when I'm in fifth grade, he gets arrested. So he had this like thing he would do every, I don't know, three months or so it like, he, I guess the pressure of like trying to have a home life would build up. And so I don't know, around every three months he would get paid on a Friday and he wouldn't come home. He would just take his check. He'd go buy drugs. He'd go party for the weekend. He'd come back Sunday night and go back to work Monday, Mm. but he'd blow his whole paycheck. Well, one of these times this happened, I was in fifth grade and uh, he doesn't come home and it's like, okay, he's doing this thing again. No big worry. But like Monday rolls around, he doesn't come home Tuesday, Wednesday. And we're like, now my mom's like panicking. Like, well, what happened? Is he dead? Is he this? Is he that? Well, like, I don't know, Thursday or Friday, like the sheriff's department serves a warrant at our house to come search for him. And we find out that he uh, committed a carjacking and a robbery uh, while he was trying to get his drugs. I guess somebody tried to rip him off and he robbed him. Mm. And so now like the cops are looking for my dad and I live right next to the school. Like I would literally, it's like a two minute walk uh, from my house to the school. And so we're going on our end of the year field trip. Right. I'm I'm living in Arizona at the time and the whole fifth grade class every year would go to like the Sedona Red Rocks. And so we go to school, we get on the bus and we leave. We go have a great day at the Sedona Red Rocks. And as the school bus is coming back to the school, like all the kids know, like, oh, that's Brandon's house. You know, like everyone knew I lived there. So the, the school bus is like coming to try and turn into the school. But the SWAT team has the whole block shut down and the kids like start. Oh, what's going on? Oh, cops. look, whoa. And the people 
oh, hey, hey, Brandon, isn't that your house? Oh. And I'm just like, oh, no. And so my entire fifth grade class watched the SWAT team take my dad down. He'd oh. come back to the house. My mom called the cops on him. SWAT team takes him in. And my whole class watches. And this is just traumatic to me. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Holy cow. Was, yeah. that, was that the first time that your class, like people other than you realized that your dad had problems with the law? And... Yeah. So okay. I, I, I had lied about it. When my dad wouldn't be around, I had made up this whole story that he was in the military and he was deployed. And mm. you know, I, it's not good for a kid to have to lie. His whole time growing up, you know what I mean? About like, hey, why isn't your dad at the at the soccer games? Or why isn't he? Ugh. Yeah, so. Um, I mean, that's gut check time, right? Like if you're if you're living a life and, and you've got the potential for your kid to be making up stories about like your situation, you got you to gotta <laughs> find a mirror, man. Like that's. A normal person would. A yeah. same person would think that. Yeah. 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 Holy cow. So uh, that was fifth grade. Within a couple months was the first time I got arrested, right? I was 12 years old. And I don't know that I made a conscious decision, but I wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps. And so within a few months, I got arrested. I, I had pulled off some big shoplifting scheme. I put a bunch of cartons of cigarettes in a shopping cart at Kmart and just pushed them out the door. And I was selling them to high schoolers and mm. cops showed up. I go to juvenile hall. Um, and it just started this cycle. Like I was, I started going in and out of juvenile hall, hmm. um, at 14 years old, my dad's still in prison. I had got together a group of my friends and, and convinced them that we should start robbing houses in the neighborhood. So we wow. went and we broke into a house and me being the 14 year old criminal mastermind, I'm like, all right, gloves and masks. And like, we're just going to, you know, steal some money and some jewelry and be out. Well, these kids that I took with me, they we we burglarize the house and we leave and they all were like, Hey, there's booze there. So they, they threw a house party at this house that I had burglarized. I went back home, you know, pretended like nothing happened. I'm buying candy bars with the little money I stole. And yeah, the cops show up at my house on Thanksgiving day. We're having Thanksgiving dinner. The cops knock on the door. My mom's like, what's going on? And they're like, yeah, your son's a criminal mastermind. Like we caught all these kids having a house party. And they said that he let him in the house. Yeah. Oh so I go gosh. to juvenile hall for that one. Mm. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was not, <laughs> it was not good, man. It was not yeah. good. So, um, so at yeah, that I, point though, like it's, it was a while ago, right? So it's probably hard to know exactly, but like you're act, clearly acting out and looking for, yeah. yeah, for some sort of attention. I think so because in recovery, I've gone back over this so much to try and dissect like where my uh, compulsive behavior comes from. Like I realized I, I needed attention. I never had my dad's attention. I never had my mom's attention. She was a single mother of three kids trying to pay the rent. My dad's in prison. I never had any attention unless I got in trouble. When I got in trouble, all of a sudden all lies on me. Yeah. And so I had worked out this system where I get in trouble and I get attention. Yeah. So, uh, 14 years old. So I, I, I get out of juvenile hall from that. I'm on probation. I start selling weed at school and I get, I get caught selling weed at school and the, the courts have had enough. They're like, you know what? We're sending you to juvenile prison until you're 18. Or you can go to this military school, which if you graduate this military school will expunge your record and everything will be good. And mm -hmm. so I got sent to this military school in Phoenix. I was like, um, I think I was 
14 and a half, maybe almost 15. I go to this military school and it was great. Like I had structure and discipline and dude, I excelled. Like Hmm. I hit there and I just took off. I became like a platoon leader and, and it, it was just great. It was a work at your own pace thing. So you work towards your high school diploma and it's as fast as you finish the work, you can take the test and then you graduate. Well, I got my high school diploma before my 16th birthday. Oh, wow. I smoked through all the work because I did so good on the work. Uh, community college there had given me a scholarship, an academic scholarship. They're like, oh, yeah, this is great. The military, I signed up with the, with the army. I was going to go to basic um, as soon as I was old enough at like 16, 16 and a half, whatever it was. Yeah. And um, so I graduate this military school and like things are looking up, right? Things are looking really good. And what had happened while I'm in this military school is my dad had gotten out of prison and him and my mom tried to get back together and it just didn't work out. My mom was sick of it by this point. And Mm -hmm. so they decided to divorce. And so my mom, her parents lived in uh, Kingsburg. It's right around Fresno in California in the Central Valley. And so she came to my military school graduation and she said, hey, I drove here in a U-Haul. I'm headed to California from this graduation. Like, I want you to come with me. And I was like, dude, I have a college scholarship to a college here in Arizona. Like it's non-transferable. Yeah. Like this is free college. Like I'm not, I'm not going with you. And she said, okay, well then you're going to have to live with your dad. And so I'm like, all right, that's, that's fine. Like I'm thinking life's good right now. I've got my stuff together. Like I'm confident, you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm doing the best I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And so I go to live with my dad and he's, he's the same old dude, like nothing's changed. And so I move in with him and I'm working out, you know, getting my scholarship and I go down and they give you some cash for your scholarship. It was like a housing allowance or something. They gave me like, I don't know, 1700 bucks or something like that. That was the most money I'd ever had. So I go home and I'm like, Hey dad, look at all this cash. You ever seen this much money? And all of a sudden I won my dad's approval. Mm. That, that, that attention and approval I've been looking for my entire childhood, all of a sudden my dad was interested in me and he goes, Hey, I know what we can do with that money. And he went and bought a bunch of meth with that money. And I tried meth the first time mm. uh, with my dad. Oh my gosh. At, that scholarship money. at 16 years old. At 16 years old. And I got spun out and I missed my classes. So I lost my scholarship And we spent all of that money on drugs and um, he ended up sexually abusing me during that time. And it was just a really dark couple of months. So was that, so that's interesting because he'd been in your life Mm -hmm. on and off, right? Yeah. Um, The entire time you'd, you'd, since you've been on the planet and the sexual abuse didn't start till you were 16. That's, it was the drugs, right? It, it was definitely the drugs. And it wasn't, how do I put this? He didn't like molest me, but he was like putting me in situations and having me do stuff. And then he was like having other weird perverted friends come over and charging them money to watch stuff. And it was just, it was, I, it was sexual abuse for sure. sure. And I mean, here, I'm trying to be careful how I put this because I don't want to minimize it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because at the time I was like, Oh, I'm kind of a willing participant in this. Yeah. But it was really like looking back at it now through a lot of therapy, 
like looking back at it, like, no, like a person in authority in your life should never treat you like that. Right. So don't minimize what he did. And so yeah. Yeah. it was wrong, man. Yeah. It was hundred oh, percent wrong. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a really dark couple months and I had like a moment of clarity because we were high the whole time, like the whole time I got way out there. And it was and meth the whole time or? It was meth the whole time. Yeah. Just, just so, meth the whole time. So in high school, you were selling weed. Yeah. What Were you also smoking it or eating it or? Yeah. Yeah. Here okay. and there. Okay. Here and there. Uh, I was more of an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. But yeah, here and there, I mean, yeah, I, I had messed around with it. I was drinking a lot all through school, mm. um, smoking cigarettes. But yeah, no, okay. the weed was more of an entrepreneur thing. But I think when it came to the meth, it was more like, hey, my dad wants to hang out with me. Right. For the first yeah. time, really. Right. Exactly. When yeah. when you weren't, when you hadn't done something negative anyway. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Holy cow. Okay. So several months of this kind of just binge that you're on yeah we ended up uh some things happened cops got involved we lost the house we were staying at we became homeless and we were living in the woods in the tent um i had like this moment of clarity and i ran i came to california i i i got i took the car that we had and i drove to california i broke down at the border my mom had to come get me and drive me the rest of the way and uh so i i get to california and i'm just like this is a fresh start like i need to start over and so I actually did did all right for a while. Like, you know, I got a job at Starbucks, uh, became a coffee master, a shift supervisor. Like I was doing good, but the problem is like there was meth here in Fresno too. And it didn't take long, like to, to find that crowd and like to fall into that. Hmm. And so I ended up losing that job at Starbucks. I'm, I'm, I'm doing meth and I can't afford it because I don't have a job. So I find out that like everyone here in Fresno like steals cars and breaks into cars to 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 make their meth money. So I start breaking into cars. I learn how to steal cars because I'm smart. So I can figure out the way they're doing this. And I'm coming up with new ways of how to steal cars. And the problem with that though is like I start getting arrested. Like I'm not very good at it at first. And when you're not good at crimes, like you get arrested. <laughs> there was no yeah. YouTube back then. Like how to not get arrested stealing a car. <laughs> <laughs> wait does that search phrase like yield results today i wonder don't <laughs> sure do it, it does. don't try it people uh i'm sure it get does. flagged so so i end up i i start getting arrested um i mean right after my 18th birthday i'm in the county jail uh very quickly i'm on my way to prison i'm not even 19 years old and i'm sitting on a bus headed to prison and hmm. i'm like dude what what happened you know and so um In essence, from 18 to 28, I spent the majority of that time. Out of 10 years, I spent nine and a half years in prison. Not all in one shot, but it was in and out. Like I did a year and I got out for three weeks. And then I went back and I did three years and I was out for 10 days. And I went just in and out, in and out. And I'm doing drugs in prison. I'm doing drugs as soon as I get out of prison. I'm going right back. And every time you go to prison, Like you meet these dudes that are actual criminals and you start becoming more of a criminal. And so I got like fully invested into this like gangster lifestyle. Like this is me. I'm this criminal. And like, I, 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 I found like a purpose in being this person. And so like, I, that's what I was. And so at, um, 23 years old i'm sitting in folsom state prison like you know the johnny cash saying the, the folsom prison blues. Mm, yeah 
not yeah. post from prison. Like, and um, and I, the the things you're in prison for are like theft and drug yeah. related uh, behavior type. Yeah, of it's thing. all it's all car theft, chop shops. It's all it's all related to to uh, stealing cars behind drug addiction. Okay. So, uh, but everything is about acquiring the drugs. You weren't involved in the distri- distributing. No, no, I was a like consumer that. at this point. I had lost okay. my entrepreneurial streak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just a consumer. Our goal with the Full of Hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people, but we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. Well, it's interesting because, so you're, you're spending all this time in prison and meeting, meeting these folks, right? Who are mm-hmm. life, lifelong criminals. Yeah. And um, your minds, it seems like your mindset is kind of like you're leaning in and you're like, basically, I want to become the best criminal I can. Like you Absolutely. wanted to get creative around that, not around like, I don't, I want to stop. There was not, it was more around just getting good at that, like yeah. leaning in. Okay. Interesting. Now, I found an identity and yeah. I always want to be the best at whatever I do. Hmm. And so I learned everything I could about it. And I, I learned everything I could about stealing cars. I learned everything I could about all the different prison gangs. I learned, you know, I just wanted to excel at whatever I did. And I'd never had self-esteem. And what I found out in prison is like, Hey, I can, I can get some validation from doing these things, from beating people up, from, hmm. you know, getting in riots, from like earning your stripes, so to say. Yeah. And so I just went full blast down that again, like how I was looking for my dad's approval and validation, like yeah. that emptiness inside of me needs to be filled somewhere. And, and I found these guys to, to give me that affirmation. Yeah. And so it's I'm, such an amazing qu- quality to have, though, as a person, right, to <laughs> have that insight that whatever you do, you want to be the best possible at yeah. it, right? Like that is such an ambitious, like, it can be spun in such a positive direction. It's yep. just you found it in a negative way, at least initially. Yeah, no, it's working out for me well today, but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, uh, no, but you're 100% right. And and that's like who I am at my core. Like, I want to excel at this. And so at 23, I'm in Folsom State Prison. I'm involved in a in a, in a stabbing. And um, I get brought into this prison gang. It's called the Fresnecks. It's, it was, it's like a play on Fresno Rednecks. It was, it was a, a white supremacist pr- prison gang that was based out of Fresno. Um, they're like, hey, you're one of us now. Um, so they're all using a needle to do math. So I start slamming that in prison and then like I get out and I'm like, Oh, now I'm just, now I'm just slamming that. And it's this whole different, like I, I thought it was bad. And like, I just, I just keep going farther down the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still in and out of prison, in and out of prison. And like, I get at 28 years old, 28 years old, I get out of prison and um, I'm kind of sick of being in prison. I had spent my entire last year that I was locked up in solitary confinement. Um, I was in, in a single cell by myself. Like the only person I ever got to talk to was like uh, uh, the, the guard that would come feed me my meals. Really? Oh, yeah. What? So 
I mean, you can tell me like that's too personal or I don't want to talk about it, but like what gets you in a, like, how do you end up in solitary there? So for me, it was a compounding of a bunch of things. Like I had made a name for myself as a gang member. So I was on this list of like, okay. like, and, and it was, you know, calling hits and it was uh, orchestrating drug sales and it was all inside. And mm. so it was just a bunch of like, things on my that added up against me like okay. well, we know you were a part of this guy getting stabbed and, and they found a note that I was trying to buy drugs from down here and there was a phone call where we were trying to get some stuff brought in and it was just a bunch of things and they were like you know what like you're doing too much you need to go chill yeah and so I end up in solitary confinement for a whole year wow yeah no what's it was, that even like tell like let, I'll explain it to you it's <sighs> you're you're by yourself in a cell I mean your cell is, if you stand, like you can put one shoulder on one wall and you can touch the other wall with your fingertips. And so it's probably about 20 steps to pace back to front. So, I mean, you've got, you don't have very far that you can walk. Um, you're in just your boxers. Um, you've got, you know, a sheet, a blanket, a mattress. And the only thing they give you is a Bible and a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of working out and it's a lot of reading. Yeah. And so you get to go out to the yard once every three days, you'd get a shower once every three days, hmm. but it just, um, but that, by working out, you mean just like body weight, whatever you can yeah. do in the room, right? Okay. Push up, sit ups. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, yeah. Just whatever you could come up with. You gotta be creative. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I made solitaire out of paper and <laughs> like ripped up made, made paper cards and you played solitaire. Like it was ridiculous. Mm. Um, Did you know you were going to be in there for a year or how's that work? No, Did they... okay. I had no idea. I had no idea. I just, I thought it was a timeout and I'd get moved somewhere else. And then it just kept going and it just, yeah. Uh. And I actually got released from solitary confinement to the streets and it, it, it did something to me on a fundamental level. Like it changed my relationship with being locked up. I didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it changed me as a person. Right. Yeah, of course. And so um, I get out and I'm like, dude, I don't want to be locked up anymore. So um, I got out and I got high. Like that was always the first thing I did. I went and I got high and I was sitting there and it's so weird. Like, I don't know if, if you'll be able to understand this, but I'm going to try and explain it. Like, yeah, I, I would always go to the same house to get high when I would get out. And so I had just been through this like traumatic experience in my eyes. Like it, it completely rocked who I was as a person. I get out and I go to this house to get high and I get high and I'm sitting there. I'm looking around and everything's the same same junk in the same places, the same people doing scratcher tickets and tweaking out drawn and just, mm -hmm. it's the same nasty house that it's always been. And I'm looking around and I'm like, how has nothing changed in all this time? And I got disgusted. I was like, this is freaking disgusting. Like, what am I doing with my life? And I got up and I took, like, somebody was like smoking a pipe and I grabbed it and I threw it down and I broke it and I cussed everyone out and I took off walking. Hmm. And I called my mom and I hadn't talked to her in quite a few years. Okay. I called my mom and I was like, dude, I, I need to do something. I got, I got to change. Yeah. I got to change. My life isn't working. And so she came and picked me up 
and uh, she let me come stay in her house. And she said, you can stay here, but you have to go to NA meetings. You have to go to recovery meetings because I can't, I don't trust you. And so I started going to the recovery meetings and I would like to say that that was the end of it. But of course I met a girl who was doing drugs and going to the meetings. We start doing drugs. So I'm like, I'm doing drugs, but I'm going to the meetings, but I'm not doing the crimes anymore. And it's a different scene, right? A little bit. Okay. So NA is narcotics. Narcotics Anonymous. And I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous as well. Okay. Uh, Just, just secular 12 step groups. And I wasn't, I didn't really find what I was looking for at this point. I'm just kind of going through it to appease my mom because here's the thing. Like I've gotten comfortable, like I'm okay sleeping in the back room in my mom's house. Like it's comfortable. Like, and, and so I just, I always, I always in my life would like settle like, Oh, I can do this. Like, it's okay. So I'm getting high and I'm going to these meetings and I'm lying to my mom and I end up uh, meeting this girl. So I end up meeting this girl named Sunny. She didn't, she didn't go to recovery, but her niece did. And I was trying to hook up with her niece. And so I ended up walking her home and she introduces me to her aunt, Sunny. And I'm like, Oh wow. Like who's this? And so I start talking to her and she knows nothing about drugs. Like she's completely naive. She's got a math degree from Cal Poly, like, you know, works full time, has a car. Like, I'm like, dude, jackpot. Right. Like, I want yeah, to with her. right. So I start like dating her and my mom finds some drugs in the house. And so she kicks me out. She's like, Hey, you're lying to me. You can't be here. So Sunny, she's being a good codependent person. She's like, Hey, you can come live with me. And so I go and I live with her for, we're together for like a year. Um, she was, she was pregnant already. She was like a month or two pregnant when I met her, she got out of an abusive relationship and found out she was pregnant after she'd left him. And so she's pregnant and I'm just living with her and she, I, she gets me a job. So now I'm like working as a, as a helper in a welding shop. And so I'm like a functional drug addict. I'm, I'm, I'm doing meth very low key. I'm going to work. I'm having this relationship with her and she has her kid and, and like, I'm like, okay, like this is, this is kind of working. Well, after this first year of us being together, uh, she confronts me and she says, Hey, like, I know you're cheating on me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm honestly not cheating on her. And she, being that she has a math major in accounting, she goes, look at this money's missing. This time is missing. Like all of this stuff doesn't add up. And I go, Hey, you know what? Like, I'm not cheating on you. I have a drug addiction. Yeah. Like I've been spending this money on drugs. That time is when I'm going and meeting people to buy drugs. And that like blows her away. Like, Hmm. slap in the face like how could you be doing drugs in my house for a year and I didn't even know right and so she's like I have a little kid here like you have to leave Mm. and that that is what set me off like like not 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 like angry but like it sent me on a spiral down because I had thought in my mind like I built up this whole life and like I didn't have to go back to jail I didn't have to do this stuff like I could I could have my cake and eat it too yeah and you were pulling it off kind of I was pulling it off yeah yeah yeah. Exactly. And so uh I uh I go out and I, I just go off the deep end. I mean I'm mm. doing drugs, I'm running the streets, I have this girlfriend that I'm running around with and, and just we're just slamming drugs and I just don't even care anymore. And I start thinking about suicide oh. because my life has no purpose, there's no meaning. I've lost the only thing that meant anything to me. And um like the drugs, I'm at a point in my life where because I, so like the drugs 
always worked because I was never out of prison for very long. So like I would, the drugs, I would do the drugs and it would shut up that um, voice inside of me. That's like, you're, can I cuss on here? Of course. Yeah. Like you're, you're a piece of shit. Like you're broken. Like your, your dad touched you. Like you, you know can't I mean? say shit. You can oh, say, dumb. sorry. I'm oh, just is that joking. the only one? No, I'm totally <laughs> missing. Yeah. No, like you're feeling broke, very broken. Yeah. 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 And so the drugs are like masking that, but because I'm only staying out for not very long, like the drugs are never like it's the drugs are always working. And mm-hmm. so now that I've been out for like a whole year, like the drugs are losing their potency. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's re- hmm. wow. So the drugs aren't working anymore. It's not quieting that voice. I'm doing drugs, but it's not doing what I need it to do anymore. And so I'm like, well, maybe I can stop doing drugs, but I can't stop doing drugs. I'm so hooked on them. So I'm at this point in my life where I've lost everything. The drugs aren't working. I can't live without the drugs. And I'm like, dude, I need to kill myself. Like I can't, Mm. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. And so on August 28th, 2015, I get to like, this is my rock bottom moment. I have this like piece of crap car. I I drive over to a a, a motel. We've got motel drive. I'm sure every city has them, but in Fresno, we have a motel driver. The hookers hang out. You buy drugs. It's the seedy part of town. I drive to this motel to buy drugs and I come out of the motel and my car won't start. Like it's just dead. And I'm like, now I'm like, dude, what the heck? So I just end up staying the night in my broken down car in this motel parking lot. And I'm like, well, screw it. I'm going to shoot my drugs right here. And so I'm like doing my drugs that aren't really working. And I come up with this plan at this motel. My storage unit is just maybe a five minute walk away. And I have a gun in my storage unit. And I'm like, you know what? Storage opens at 8 a.m. Like, I'm going to walk over there and I'm going to shoot myself in my storage unit. And I had even, like, decided, like, well, I'll put down some plastic. So, like, because the storage people are pretty nice. Like, I don't want to do them like that. <laughs> like, being considerate even. Oh, in- my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a scary yeah. thought. That's a scary thought. Like, where am I going to get a roll of plastic so that these people don't have to, like, bleach the cement? Like, that's how far down that that idea I was. Well, because you want to be good at everything, right? So <laughs> yeah, exactly, like excellence and suicide, like in your mind, yeah. right? Like, oh my gosh, that is wild. Okay, so so I'm so you're making I, this plan. Yeah, I, I, and I know, like, this is what I'm going to do. Eight a.m. I'm going to walk over there, and in the middle of the night, I'm like, I'm I'm crying, and I just like I scream out, and I'm like, God, if you're real, you got to do something because I'm going to kill myself. Like, I can't live like this. And I'm just like freaking out and like, I'm just like, whatever, what am I, like, I'm not, you know? And so I go, I go back through the night and I'm just, I'm doing my drugs and, and at like, I don't know, 630 in the morning, like the sun's starting to crest and uh, a tow truck pulls up and the tow truck driver gets out and he knocks on my window. He goes, Hey man, I got a call. I need to, I need to tow this car. Like this car's not supposed to be here the the motel had called to to have me towed and I'm like okay um and I get out of the car and I just start like ugly weeping complete stranger dude like just trying to do his job and I start crying and he's like whoa what like what's going on and I tell him my entire life story dad going to prison dad not loving me abuse military like everything I'm out of prison my girl left me like I'm gonna kill myself in an hour and a half and this dude goes, whoa. 
he goes, you know what, man, do you want help? And I was like, yeah, <coughs> excuse me. He goes, I can get you into, he goes, I just graduated a program not too long ago. It's called Teen Challenge. He goes, I can make a call and get you in if you want. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll try anything at this point. So he makes a call. It's in Oakland. And they're like, yeah, no, tell him to get here ASAP. And so I call Sonny. I mean, the girl that had, you know, kicked me out. And mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, like, I know you don't want to talk to me, but I need a ride to Oakland so I can get into treatment. And she goes, yeah, no, for sure. I'll take you. I'll take you. Um, so she, but she has to work. So I've, I've got to kill a couple hours. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, the tow truck driver goes, Hey, you know what, man? Like, just give me a call. I'm not even going to tow your car. Don't worry about it. And he leaves. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, so trip on this. He leaves. I get in the car and I turn the key and the car starts. Dude. <laughs> Wait. So when that, first of all, when that happened, did you realize like something like this is special or this is no. different? Yeah. Okay. I had no idea. I was just like, of course, of course, like everything bad in my life has happened. Of course, this is going to happen too. Like I'm going to lose my car, right. you know, like it was just another bad thing to happen. Yeah. And then like, when he's like, Oh, you go to a program. I'm like, you know what, man, like I can put off killing myself for a couple weeks to see if this works. Hmm. And then when the car started, I was like, Oh, cool. My car started. Like I could have left hours ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have tried that. I don't even put it together. Like, so yeah. I leave. Yeah. And um Sunny gets off work and she drives me to Oakland. Okay. And it's like a four-hour drive from where we're at. And uh um we're about three and a half hours into the trip. And the tow truck driver, his name was Larry, he calls me and he goes, Hey man, I forgot to tell you, it's a Christian program. And I was like, Nope, nope. I'm good mm. off the God thing, man. Like, Sonny, turn the car around. Like, we're not doing this. Oh, wow. How I long mean, had you been driving? Uh, for like three and a half hours. He okay. he intentionally waited. We told him yeah. when we were leaving. And so he waited till we were almost there, mm. uh, which good on him. He probably saved my life. Mm. You know what I mean? Doing that because I'm like, I'm eight hours away from a suicide attempt. And I'm like, you know what? Nah, I'm good. Like, I'll take my chances with the broken down car in the motel. And Sonny who also very much probably saved my life. She looks at me and she goes, listen, you can go home if you want, but I am driving you to Teen Challenge and you're getting out of the car. If you want to go home, you have to walk. And so she drove me to Teen Challenge and she kicked me out of the car and she said, I, I, I hope you find what you need and left. And it's in the hood in Oakland. Like this part of Oakland that it's in is like on an FBI watch list for like murder rate per capita. Like it's a terrible neighborhood. Hmm. And uh, uh, so I look around, I look up the street and I look down the street and I'm like, you know what? Like maybe I, uh, maybe I should go inside. (laughs) (laughs) It's safer in there. So I go inside and and I crash out and I, I end up staying, I end up staying. And the amazing thing is that, so I wasn't like, I wasn't sold on the God thing. I'm like, I'm just going to sit here until like my mind clears from the, you know, drugs and all of that stuff. And I'm sitting and they make you go to church every day. And I'm like, I'm arms crossed in the back. I don't want to hear this Jesus crap. And we go to this church one Sunday. It's about two weeks that I've been there. I'm sitting in the back and 
this black lady gets up and like, I come from prison. Like I was part of a white supremacist gang and I'm like, Oh, this black lady, whatever. And she gets up and she starts singing and she's singing this song. It's called great. Are you Lord? And, and she's singing it. And her voice is so beautiful. I'm in the back and I go from like arms crossed to like kind of unfold my arms. And I'm just staring at her listening by the end of the song. I'm weeping, mm. like weeping. And I'm like, dude, like Jesus is real. Like mm. this whole thing is real. And like, it's, and I don't know like where you guys stand on faith or anything, but like the whole rest of the story is a God story. So uh, <laughs> like that, like the Holy Spirit wrecked my heart and I knew that Jesus was real and I gave my life to Jesus at that service. To support the Full of Hope podcast, please go to the support the podcast page on fullofhopepodcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves, your support will be huge to help us grow. And I'm like, this is what I needed. That emptiness in my life, yeah. the validation, the acceptance, everything I had been searching for my entire life, that emptiness, what I thought was a need for validation, acceptance, respect, whatever, was like a need for God. Yeah. I Brandon, had, that moment that you had listening to her sing and like uh, feel it like, um, so I had a, I had a, an experience where I, I, I truly felt I was in a very dark spot as well. And I truly felt the presence of, of Jesus. My wife and I did at the same time. And like, it was actually almost like a physical mm. sensation and yeah. so moving. And it sounds like you had something similar where it right. just like hits you over the, and it, it, and it becomes instantly like from question or doubt or whatever to complete and 100% like belief no, and faith right, and yeah. Okay. Okay. So, wow. That's amazing, Brandon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's exactly how you said, like, it was, it was, it wasn't even like doubt. It was like, I don't want this to be real. Mm, Yeah. Okay. If God is the answer, I can't smoke. I can't drink. I can't cuss. I can't sleep around. You know what I mean? Like in my mind, I'm like, I don't want it to be that because I still want to do things my way. I don't want to do drugs and I don't want to kill myself, but I still want to be the Lord of my life. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it was just like, Oh no, this is, this is for real. God is real. Jesus wants my heart and that's what I need to be okay. Hmm. And so, yeah, like I, I gave my life to Jesus there and I went back <laughs> to the program. So teen challenge is supposed to be a year long program. I went back and I called Sunny and I go, Hey, I'm good. Like, come pick me up. And she goes, what? And I go, no, like, I'm good. I'm good. Like I, I found what I was looking for. And she's like, are you sure? And I go, yeah, just come pick me up. And so she comes and picks me up. And the people at the program are like, what are you doing? Like, it's a year. Pro-. And I go, no, I'm good. Like, I I found what I was looking for. And I left. And I How long had it. you been there? Uh, two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Two weeks. So no, I left and I didn't go back to drugs. Like, I had legitimately found what I needed. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. So I come back to Fresno and um, me and Sunny get back together. And she's like, let's figure out what we need to do. And I'm like, it's just Jesus. All I needed was Jesus. And so I start running full blast into like, I got to go to church. I start going to celebrate recovery, which is a Christ centered recovery program. And I mean, I'm back for a month and I get, uh, I get baptized. Uh, um, I, I'm like, I'm going to two or three different meetings. I'm going to two or three different Sunday church service, like as much as I, cause I got to be the best at everything. 
Like I, I, I want as much as yeah. I ran for the streets and for drugs, like I, I got into God and I got into recovery yeah. and I just started plowing forward. Me and her got married six months after that. Um, here's, here's a cool little side story. Um, the girl that I was with when I was in my rock bottom, those couple months, me and Sunny had broke up. Um, she had told me that she was pregnant right before, like I had my whole rock bottom thing. And it was cause I, I knew that like I was inching towards suicide. So I was like pushing her away. Like I, I can't be with you anymore. And she goes, well, you can't break up with me. I'm pregnant. And I'm like, whatever, like you're lying. Like, I don't want to hear it. I said, just go get an abortion. Like whatever, just get away from me. Well, I, I come back and like me and Sonny are together now and, and I'm working and, and all this. And she like emails me and she's like, Hey, I need money for the abortion. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she goes, I'm pregnant. You told me to go get an abortion. And I'm like, Oh no, like, mm. no, like don't mm. go get an abortion. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian now. Like you can't like, please don't get an abortion. Yeah. And she goes, well, she has two kids. She's already like adopted. She's already had two kids that went up for adoption. She goes, I can't have another kid. She goes, uh, I was like, well, give them to me. And she goes, yeah, right. You freaking drug addict. I'm not giving you a kid. Like she said, I'm just going to go get an abortion. Like whatever. I don't need your help. And I was like, well, that, well, behind my back, Sunny, um, my, my now wife, she goes and talks to this girl and convinces her to give us the baby. And so, um, yeah, my son, Michael, uh, was oh born gosh. February, six months after I, I got sober and me and Sunny were in the delivery room. We got him. We, they took us into another room and we've, we've had him for, he just turned five last week. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. Amazing. So Dude, every step of the way, Sunny has just been this amazing person. Oh. And yeah, she's, you want to talk about an angel, man. She's great. But, oh. uh, Appropriately named too, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Totally. Well, sometimes she gets stormy, but we won't talk about oh. that. She's not here <laughs> yeah. to defend herself. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Because the openness that that would take for her to yeah. accept that situation as well, right? Well, it's not it, just your decision. Yeah. And it's, it, it gets even like, she's so selfless that even after that, like she befriended Lisa as Michael's mom's name. They're good friends today. She picks her up and takes her to church. Lisa comes over to our house every Thanksgiving. And that's not me. Like that's Sonny's relationship with her. And that's the way I, I'm like, dude, how selfless do you have to be to get over the like, Hey, that's his ex-girlfriend. Hey, that's his baby's mom. Like this is the girl that he ran to when we broke up. To say like, no, she needs positive relationships and she needs Jesus in her life more than I need to stand on the fact that this is awkward. Incredible. Yeah. She's good. Religious at all? Was was Sunny religious at all before? No, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Interesting. It was funny because like, I'm like, hey, I come back and I go, we're going to church. That's what we need to do. And she's like, "Um, okay, like, I guess we're going to church now like I don't mm. you know she had and so it took her a while to, to catch on but she's right there now like she's all about it so wow. yeah no well was, she saw the good it had it it provided in your life right and the complete right. change and that yeah. that probably helps somebody adopt those beliefs as well yeah. I would think yeah yeah totally oh my goodness so yeah I mean it's been um five years coming up on six years, probably like five and a half years right now. And, and 
life is totally different, man. Like I went to, uh, I've, I've led recovery. I've sponsored a ton of guys through the 12 steps, through the program. Um, I, I, I went to uh, school of ministry. So I, I went and got uh, licensed as a pastor. I'm a pastor now. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm planning a church here next fall. Uh, me and Sonny, yes. we're, we're starting a church in, in a, in a very high crime, high gang, high drug neighborhood of our town. Wow. Um, yeah. Started my podcast, Redefine Recovery. Uh, just so, to highlight, go ahead. Yeah. Talk, talk more about that. So what's the, you know, um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of recovery out there with your, your higher power and stuff like that. And we go, you know what, man, like I know that my higher power is Jesus Christ. I know that Jesus is the higher power that transforms people's lives And so we started the podcast to really dive into stories of people that have had their lives changed by an experience with Jesus. And so we do a lot of local, just, you know, drug addicts that have turned their life around, kind of my story type people. But I mean, we've also talked to, um, we've got a couple big name people, Brian Welch from Korn, the the guitarist from Korn. We had him on and he talked about how, you know, he was doing the rock star life and turned his life around with God. I mean, we've had some professional skateboarders on we've had, but, but even people that are like overeating codependency, anger, a lot of sex addiction, pornography, stuff like that. Cause it's all the same problem. It's all, we have that void in our lives that we're trying to fill with stuff. Like I found drugs that made that filled the void. Some people find sex. Some people for my wife, she found approval like hey if i get 100 percent on my test like that affirmation fills that void and it's all the same underlying problem that we have an emptiness that jesus needs to fill Mm -hmm. and so that's what we started the podcast for was to dive into these stories and to really show because and the title redefine recovery like people think recovery oh drugs and alcohol we wanted to redefine how you look at recovery because your problem with pornography and your problem with overeating and your problem with codependency is all the same problem and it all is the same answer, and that's Jesus. Mm. So that's kind of where we went with the podcast. Wow. Yeah. When did you start that? When did you start uh, doing it? It's been about three years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but we go we go on and off. So I think we've got 80 or so episodes out, but we always take Christmas and Easter, that those couple months off, because uh, my co-host works at a church. I work at a church. So we're both, you know, Christmas and Easter, that whole season gets really busy. Plus, we both have young families. and yeah. So, so have you, um, have you guys considered having a kid of your own or is that? That's, that's the next step. I'm glad you picked up on that. So we've got one of hers, one of mine. The next step is, is one together and then we're going to adopt one. We're going to have one that's neither of ours. Wow. (laughs) Complete brain bunch. That's the grand slam. That's the, that's all four. (laughs) Wow. Just amazing, Brandon. Yeah. It's have tough. you have you stayed in touch at all with that um tow truck driver no so when i got back i went and i seen him and um he long story short he kind of slid off the edge because he mm-hmm. was you know he had went for recovery and he ended up losing his job but not because he didn't tow my car but for something else oh my gosh and uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh yeah he he I went, I went and seen his mom and was looking for him and he had, he had relapsed and was just out there. Oh, shoot. And it's, it sucks. I pray for him. I can't find him, but it's just interesting how God uses people, even in our brokenness, God like uses people to accomplish his purposes. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, geez. And, and you're, you're paying that forward too now, right? Yeah. Like you're, oh yeah. 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 I've got, I have a group uh, around here of guys that um, it's just all dudes that have been to prison that are now Christians. We all get together. We play cards. We do stuff like that, but we're always doing ministry. When someone gets out and they're like, kind of on the end, like we'll go snatch them up and we're like, not ah, come to church. Like I baptized uh, one, two, three dudes that I've been in prison with. It's oh, wow. Just, yeah it's 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 our ministry like we're we're just a bunch of old gangsters that found jesus and 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 are just loving on people and trying to to show people a better way to live oh brandon that's just beautiful it's so beautiful like it's do you ever come in contact with folks from your past when you're oh yeah so oh yeah you can just hang around them and you don't feel that urge oh no (laughs) no I don't. So, um, anybody from my past, like, uh, I've had people call me, they'll hit me up on Facebook and I'll go, Hey, yeah, I would love to see you, man. Like I'll be at church on Sunday. If you know, we could talk after service. And, uh, the only people that I see is people that will come and meet me on, on my territory, which is at the church. I won't, I won't go to any of the old places and you know what, man, maybe someday I can, but I'm just not ready for that yet. I mean, it's been five years, but I just still don't, uh, like I wouldn't go back to the old apartment building where I used to buy to go, you know, hang around and whatever. <clears throat> yeah. So, and I think that's safe. Like if they're, if they're willing to come to church, I'm willing to work with them, but I'm not going to go put myself in a bad situation right. to try and be a hero. Yeah. And I mean, it's doable, right? Like you can choose where you go and where you don't go and who, where yeah. you talk to people. So one thing I didn't, I, I don't want to sleep on it. it I want to make sure I understand though, is you went to this program, mm-hmm. you were there for two weeks, like Jesus, like knocked you over the head, right? <laughs> with this, yeah. with this woman singing and like you got, yeah. but, but from that moment on, you haven't done drugs since like that no, was, no. no, life has not, life is, <laughs> life is still tough, man. You, just because you uh, asked Jesus into your life, it's not unicorns pissing Skittles over your life. You know what I mean? Okay. okay. So, um, uh, me and my wife were both still very broken. Okay. And so she has uh, codependency and anger issues. And I had, you know, my manipulation and my addiction. And it was, we both needed to get into recovery and work through that. So early okay. on, um, about six months after coming home, we got into an ugly knockdown fight. And I left and I went and got high. Like I went back to what I knew would make me mm. feel better because I thought I was going to lose her again. See, the the thing was, like, I had found Jesus, but I was still putting, like, her up on this pedestal, like, um, because I had lost her back then, you know, like, I didn't want to lose her again, like, she was the thing that was going to make my life right, which, I mean, uh, if you're, if you're a Christian, like, we call that idolatry, like, I was putting her Mm -hmm. on the throne of my life, Mm -hmm. and uh, when that was in jeopardy, I ran back to uh, the thing that I knew, and that was drugs, and as soon as I did it, I was like, oh, this was a terrible idea. Guilty. This was a terrible idea. What did I, and I went to church, like I went immediately to church. It was like a Saturday night that that happened. And I went to church Sunday morning, loaded, crying the whole time. And I just went and sat at church for like multiple services. Like I just sat in the same Mm -hmm. service over and over, you know? And uh, yeah, so that I I have relapsed. Um, I have relapsed. Okay. And and it wasn't, you know, there's, there's been other things like life is still life. It still comes at you. We had a very, um, 
we were pushed together when my mom kicked me out and then the drug addiction and the coming clean. And it was just, we've had a very uh, rough up and down that we've had to work through, you know? And then when I got, came home and like, I went full blast into church, like we still, my wife felt like, well, you love this more than me. And so like that created this tension where I'm ignoring my wife and kids to chase this church thing, which I mean, it's good and bad. Like I, I need Jesus to stay sober, but I also need to love my family. Like if, if Jesus talks about it, like if you, if, if, if you're um, not loving people in order to be religious, like you've missed the point. Yeah. And so um, I, there came a point where we broke up, you know, well, that's a perfect storm too. Right. Because she's got the codependence thing and some, je- you know, issues around jealousy that you described. Right. Yeah. So, so you focusing all of your attention on something else, mm-hmm. right? E- even though it's not drugs, it's yeah. it's it's a positive thing, but it still creates that tension. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's still a mistress. Like drugs yeah. are my mistress, and now church is my mistress. Mm. And it's like, yeah, even and and I really had to like do a lot of work and like putting myself in her shoes because even on the night when I would be home, she knows I would rather be somewhere else, and so like women have a great way of seeing through the BS, you know what I mean? And it's like, Oh no, like I'm here for you. And she's like, no, you're just mailing it in. Like you're checking a box right now. Oh, Mm. like I've spent six hours at home. I can go be at church for six hours. Wow. Yeah. So I really had to, um, it was about three years ago. It all came to a head. I was in ministry school. I was uh, leading recovery. I was, I was uh, serving another. I just was way overdrawn with all of this stuff. And I was bringing home crumbs to my family. Mm-hmm. and uh, she was like hey like she left me she was like we can't you need to decide yeah. like I'm not going to do this and so we split up for about another month and um, I really had to step back and and that's where I really got you know what I just told you like if I'm not loving my family but I'm chasing Jesus I missed the point right and I really had to step back and and realize like the like it's the great the great commandment is like love God and love your neighbor but like I'm not loving her. Like she's my closest neighbor. Like we Mm -hmm. live a few feet from each other every night and, and like, I'm not loving her well. Yeah. And so really having to take a step back and and implement some boundaries in my life where, you know, like, no, like these days I don't do anything having to do with church these nights. Like I'm not doing anything. This is my family night. And I don't want to miss my kids growing up. Like my dad did. Right. You know what I mean? Like I know what an absent parent, whether, whether physically present, but mentally absent or actually absent, like does to a child growing up. Yeah. Like I was that child and I don't want to do that to my kids. I've worked so hard to give them the life that I didn't have. Yeah. Well, so speaking of your parents, uh, Mm -hmm. what's, what's your relationship with them? Like at this point? So here's the cool thing. So my dad, um, three, four years ago, I was a year into recovery and I'm going through and celebrate recovery. We have a thing called a step study where you, you get with a group of guys. It's a one year study where you actually work through the 12 steps and you do an inventory, which is where you, you dig into like your past and all of the crap that's happened and you unpack it and you try and make peace with it. And so I'm doing this work where I'm digging into like what my dad did to me. And what I realized is my dad was molested as a kid. And so his whole life, he was trying to shut up that voice that says, you're broken, you're a piece of shit, you're whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, what he did to me wasn't like, he was like, hey, you know what? Screw Brandon, I'm going to ruin his life, which is how I took it, Mm -hmm. you know? 
-hmm. it was he was um he was just bleeding everywhere yeah and it wasn't personal and so i had to understand that he was broken and and he was just acting out of his brokenness and I was collateral damage. And so I'm going through the step setting. I get to a point where I'm like, you know what? I tell this group, I go, Hey, I think I'm ready to forgive my dad. Like with, with that perspective, I think I can forgive my dad. Like he didn't have any choice over being molested as a kid. Yeah. And so um, I'm doing that. And I tell the group that, uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to forgive my dad. And I start like, God, you know, like help me to forgive my dad. And a week later I get a phone call from a number. I don't know answer it and uh he goes hey son this is your dad um um he he had moved to fresno him and my mom tried to work it out again so he was here in fresno uh he ended up homeless and whatever he ended up in a recovery program he goes i'm in a recovery program i see your jesus stuff on facebook i've asked jesus into my life would you baptize me oh and i was like oh wow like i felt like it was god like all right, you ready to forgive him? Like, put up or shut up. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> put your money where your mouth is, right? So, yeah, That's I went thing. and I baptized my dad, man. And it was like the ultimate um, reconciliation. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of things in my life God brought full circle. Like, this was intended to harm you, but I have used this for good. Yeah. And so I got to baptize my dad. And you know what? Not long after that, he disappeared he's homeless on the streets and he just disappeared. I haven't seen him in a few years. Hmm. And I'm just so grateful that I got to close that chapter in the story before he disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. What a moment to have yeah. with, with your dad. Yeah. And uh, my mom, she's, she's around, she comes over. We, we go see her. I saw her last night. She's, she's doing good. I, I, I came to a point where I forgave her. I realized that she did the best she could with the tools she had. Yeah. For being a 16-year-old girl on drugs with a baby, like, she did the best that she could. Yeah. And I, I give her credit for that. Like, that's a tough situation. I wouldn't want to be in that situation. Has she, um, do you, ha- do you have any siblings from, yeah, yeah. from her? Yeah. Okay. I have a, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Oh, that's right. You're, I remember you saying you're, they had, they had the younger bro- brother yeah. and treated him quite differently. Yeah. He was my dad's favorite. Um, do you have a relationship with them? Yeah, I do. So my brother, he was my using partner for many years. And then I got sober and we kind of became estranged because he, he, I couldn't talk to him because I knew he had drugs. And I knew that if I said, Hey, get me high, he would. So I stopped talking to him and he took that as like, well, you think you're better than me. And so it took a long time to, uh, get to, uh, to break through that and show them like, nah, man, I just love you. Like, yeah. I just love you and want a relationship with you, but it needs to be a safe relationship. Yeah. And so he, he comes over, we hang out, you know, um, he's just, he, he's still working on pulling his head out of his ass. It's a, it's a slow process. Did your sister ever get involved in the, in the drug? No, she never really got into the drugs. She ended up marrying one of my friends from the streets and he got her in some trouble smuggling stuff into prison at visits and, Mm. she did some time but then she that kind of woke her up and so she divorced him moved had a couple kids and she's doing good yeah so well i mean brandon good on you for living you know a shining example of you know how things such a negative beginning can turn into something positive and 
And now you're just trying to share that with as many people as possible. So many people as possible. That's my whole thing is like, listen, man, if God can take this turd and shine him up and you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. God can change anybody's life. Jesus Christ is the, the biggest uh, factor in transformation of a, of a person's life. And I fully believe that And anybody that is struggling, like I will, I will use my last breath to try and convince them that like, there is a better way to live. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that's a good note. A better way to live is a, is a good note to go out on, I think, but yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we'll get all the, all the info. We can link your, your podcast and, and if you've got any other things that you want to share, um, we'll get that offline, but, uh, thank you so much, Brendan. This was, this, it's really an awesome story and, and congratulations on just the beauty that your life has become so yeah no thank you and i i, I truly appreciate the opportunity to get on here and, and, and talk about it so right on brandon okay take care yeah we'll see you, okay. right, brandon. See you guys see you. Okay, bye. to find information about today's episode how to support the podcast or find out how you can share your story go to fullofhopepodcast.com all of our social media info is there or you can just look on all platforms for full of hope podcast Thank you so much for listening and sharing with a friend. And until next time, this is RJ reminding you that Brandon's story is living proof that there is so much reason to be full of hope.